we get to uh, to hear a message today from um, the the Reverend Dave Short, and uh, he is going to come up and, and speak to us today. Um, excited for that, and I think that if you don't know Dave, um, you need to know him. And I'll just say just a couple of, of quick things, and then he'll come. Is that he is one of the hardest working people I know. Like, just to the point of like, you need to take a day. Like, you need to take maybe an hour where you can just catch your breath. And and if you've ever worked on a team with him or worked with him on any projects, you know he is intense and he is um, a fireball of activity. And I, I think sometimes that you can forget like why he's like that. Now God wired him like that for sure, but there's a motivation deep down inside his soul that is that is really what's motivating that and energizing him to to work so hard, but also to to be a light. And I think what it is is it's that Jesus is the answer. Is that Jesus is the answer? Jesus is the reason why. Um, we have the ability to have a relationship with God, and he believes that everyone needs to know that, that there is hope for people, and that they should know and they should hear the gospel and be able to uh, come to faith in God. And so um, as you interact with him and as you um, see him come on up on stage today, remember that that is the motivation. And, uh, and that, for me, as long as I've known him, has been so true of him, and he has impacted and influenced so many people um, because of his heart for God. And so, guys, without any more of that, let's just go ahead and give it up for Mr. or Pastor and Bishop and Reverend Dave Short. Here we go. I'll let the booth have its way. So just as I was listening to um, Sarah talk about Graham, and it uh, reminds me of my own kids. I have five kids, five amazing kids from age 33 19 and you know we are always you always want to be a little selective or at least we wanted to be selective in the names that we gave our kids that they meant something that was meaningful that it gave them some kind of purpose direction and after we had Joshua which was our third there was Jordan and then there was Bethany and then there was Joshua afterwards I'm reading my Bible and I told Valerie, I said, man, I think we missed it. I think we missed it when we named Joshua. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I just read a verse that said John crossed the Jordan to get to Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> and as it so happens, that happened often. And I'm thinking, you know, we, we should have named him John. But uh, he loves the name Joshua. Then we had our fifth child. And... Valerie was um, mature, and um, was at a place in her life that having a fifth child was a little bit, oh, oh God, oh, uh, a stretch, right? And she's just kind of like Dave, you know, oh, man, we have uh, four kids, and I said, I know, babe, but, you know, God baby, but, you know, husbands always say the right things, right? Like, <laughs> God gave us this, right? <laughs> so, anyhow, she was praying one morning, and, and uh, she came out, and she just, there was just this peace over her, and, and she said, you know, the Lord just really spoke to me today, and I said, what, what happened? She said, you know, the Lord just really spoke to me and said that, that this baby is a blessing 
something to you. And you need to see her as a blessing. And, um, and so we, she says we need to name this child Blessed. And she is called Blessed. And, uh, and probably, I think it's been a blessing, hasn't it? Been a blessing? Blessing? Uh, my last name's short, so we can make fun of names all day long. Uh, but anyhow, I'm going to be really vulnerable today, uh, which is not easy for me because I'm, I'm very, I am very intense, I'm very focused, I'm very, uh, I don't give into emotion uh, easily. And uh, yeah, this week's been tough for me. And the reason that it's been, I think, maybe a little bit extra tough is that I lost my, my stepdad uh, September or October, right? October 16th. <coughs> and then, uh, and I love my stepdad. Um, he had his, he had his demons and I'll share a little bit about that here in a minute. Um, but this man loved me. There was no doubt in my mind. I, I knew that he loved me. He treated me like, not like some stepchild, some surrogate kid. He treated me as his own son. I mean, he wouldn't even take child support. He refused child support because he says, no, this, this boy is mine, and I'm going to raise this child. And I always, I, I never felt uh, like I wasn't his own. And I really believe that he treated my grand, my kids and his grandkids in a very similar way that they were like his blood. And I appreciated that so much about him. And then... Six months later, April 21st, I lost my mom. And, oh man, it was a, it was a double, <laughs> a double whammy to me. And, and this is my second Mother's Day and Father's Day without my parents. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, I've had my moments, obviously, and grief comes in surges, like the waves of an ocean. Sometimes, man, it slaps me good, and sometimes it just recedes very gradually. Uh, but like I mentioned, this week has been quite, quite a challenge. And as I, as I knew I was going to share today, I've kind of reflected on the legacy that my mom, uh, primarily my mom, left me. And I really, I, I feel like the Lord directed me to the book of Ruth, and I want to kind of start there. And I felt like the Lord just really kind of spoke some things to my heart that I uh, feel are relevant and will, I hope, will minister to you as well. So I don't know if you uh, need a Bible, if you'd like a Bible, or you have your Bible, or you can look up it on your phone, or whatever you want to do. Um, but if you, if you want a Bible, if you raise your hand, we can pass those out to you. Um, but it would be great if you could follow along with me in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. I'm sure they didn't feel like they were going to stay there long. But the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. You know what's hard sometimes when you're used to a story? Let's say you've been raised in church all your life. 
and you've heard a story many times and you know about a story, sometimes it's easy to make that story mundane or not really, mm, I think it's really important to, uh, to really allow the Holy Spirit to really speak a new, fresh message to your heart. And the man's name was Elimelech. And he had his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And then after they had lived there in Moab for ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, big picture, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. In verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. A couple things that just really, really captured my heart as I kind of reflected on this on this passage and that was first off the big picture when it says in the days when judges ruled this was a time and a place in which God would raise up individuals that would deliver Israel oppressive regimes they would be leaders leaders like Samuel Deborah Gideon Jephthah Samson anointed of God raised up by God to lead an entire nation. And it was obvious as we read the book of Judges that these men were used in amazing ways. And God did supernatural, extraordinary acts in and through these great men of God. So we look at Billy Graham and we look at all of these maybe people that we admire and we wish, boy, I wish I could, I could be in that kind of situation or circumstance. And, and then all of a sudden, then you, you look at Big, spectacular exploits, right? And then the small picture. It just really, I, I don't know, really spoke to me. And it said a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And I guess as I just thought on this passage, I, I thought about that, that God doesn't just work with the great. He doesn't work just in the big, big picture of things. That he works in the life of ordinary people like you and me. Simple people. Seemingly insignificant people, right? In light of this huge, big picture of God trying to reach the world for the kingdom of God. People just like you and me trying to make ends meet. Nine to five jobs. Working it out. A family struggling with tragedy and loss. A mother who had buried not only her husband, but also her two sons. What? You talk about grief, right? Even as Sarah talked about, you know, we shouldn't have to bury our sons, right? Our children. But yet she was having to work through that. 
God at work in people's lives when it doesn't make sense. Have you ever felt that way? This is crazy. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand why this person's life was taken and why this person's life was spared. And it's not, it's not easy to work through all of that muddy middle. But Sarah spoke up early. But man, the word of the Lord to you this morning is don't give up. Don't give up. And don't give in. And that God is significantly at work. God is at work in the background. And God is going to work this out for good. And it's a peace that passes all what? A peace that passes all understanding. Which means that we've got to get past trying to understand everything to have peace. We're trying to understand things in our mind. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out a God, right, that has this plan and strategy and allows certain things to happen so that other things can happen. We don't, we don't see the whole picture, but God sees the beginning from the end. And we've got to just be able to just rest in it. We've got to be able to just trust that God has some, something in this. He's working out for good. And there's no doubt that God was at work in this situation. And it's crazy when I when I read chapter two, verse one, this, these words just like leaped out at me. It says in, in my translations, it, it so happened after all of this. And after she moved back to Israel, moved back with one daughter saying, you know, I just can't go with you as if she's not suffered enough. But yet she was willing to let her daughter in law go. Another daughter who was a Moabite, knowing that it was going to be tough, difficult, difficult situation. It says, Naomi had a relative named Boaz. As it so happened, right? You know that things just, it's, they don't just happen. But God has a, an incredible plan and a strategy and that he is at work. Not just in the Samsons and in the Gideons and in the Samuel environments, but he is, he is in the he is in the mud with you. He is for you. And the, what, what's so crazy is that Boaz, right? God works out the situation. Ruth, who wouldn't have been able to marry Boaz, right? Now all of a sudden she is linked with Boaz. She is a Moabitess. And then all the, then eventually King David comes out of this relationship. Eventually, God works through this situation, this circumstance, and ultimately Jesus, the Savior of the world, right? That she would have no idea how God was at work, almost seemingly invisibly, right? But yet God is so strategic. The mother-in-law, the mother, whose influence changed the course of history. Naomi was like a mother who hides in the background so that her children can stand out. I mean, Ruth is the central figure. Naomi is the supporting cast. But yet, she was so strategic, the overall plan, right? Because she was the encourager. She was in the background. Even in the midst of her bitterness, when she said to the people, don't call me Naomi anymore, but call me Mara, bitter, because 
these things that have happened to me are almost beyond what I can bear. But even in the midst of that, God was using her. God was working in the midst of it all, even though you might not see it completely. You might not even see the big picture. My mom was very much like Naomi. And who I am came because this woman encouraged me, invested in me, pushed me ever so gently to be all that I could be and that there was nothing impossible. Even in spite of the fact that we didn't know God, we didn't have any idea about God, she didn't ever mention God, but yet her influence in my life was astronomical and has really made me, I think, the person that I am. And even though Naomi may not have understood that God was moving, and though my mom may never have understood that God was moving at the time these circumstances in our life happened, she was. When I was, when I was four years old, I woke up that morning and uh, walked into the kitchen, and my dad and my mom were sitting at the kitchen table, and my, my dad was, was crying. And I had never seen my dad cry, and I knew something was wrong, and so I, I went up to my, my birth dad, and, and I said to him, I said, what's the matter? And, and he looked at me, and he said, he said, Dave, I'm, I'm going to have to go on a trip, and it's going to be a long trip, and I don't know, inside my, inside my little heart, I, I just knew that I would never see him again, and I, I begged him, I, I, I this four-year-old little boy, just, I, I begged him, I, I said, I said, please, Dad, don't go, don't, don't go, don't, don't go. And I, I, I pleaded for the longest time, and he said to me, he said, I, I'm, I'm sorry, son, I, I've got to go. And I never did see my dad again until I was a teenager. He was out of my life. And then my mom, remarried, and my stepdad, in the many, many of the years from my younger years up through college, battled alcohol to an extreme measure. He was a very, he was, when he drank alcohol, he was not the same man. And so many times he would be abusive, and I remember one one night in particular that I was laying in bed and I woke up to this screaming and yelling, which was not, um, not unusual. And all of a sudden I, I heard a thump and a fall of something hit the ground and I ran to the door and I, I cracked it open and I saw my mom laying on the, on the ground. Um, and he was uh, standing over her, just cursing at her. And she, I said something to him, I don't remember what I said, but she turned around, she looked at me, she said, get back in that room, get back in that room right now, son, get back in that room. I shut the door, and I sat on the edge of my bed, and I, I there was nothing, I, I didn't know what to do. I, 
And I remember that she later, she came to me and she held me and she says, we're going to just get through this. We're going to get through this together. And so much yet to live. And so I think growing in that atmosphere, I kind of, I kind of grew distant and I became angry and I became bitter and I, I became the kind of guy that would just like fight at a half, beat anybody up at any time <laughs> in spite of the situation. And I had somebody tell me, they said, you know what, Dave, they encouraged me. They said, Dave, I think you need to get, get, get involved in something that will allow you to hurt somebody and they'll applaud you for it. <laughs> I said, oh yeah? I said, what's your idea? And they go, I think football is your thing. I go, oh, okay. But man, I'm, dude, I'm a short guy, skinny, short. How in the world, right? It doesn't even seem possible. And so my mom, man, she was that Naomi. She was that steady, you can do it. You got it in you, right? You, that cheerleader, right? In the background, but yet, you know, not the central figure, but always the kid. There's the central figure and pushing it. And, so I, I said, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Played football in my high school career, then my senior year. Uh, started as a running back. Um, still very short, skinny. And, but I started as a running back. And the first, um, the first game of my senior year, I rushed for almost 189 yards that first game. I think it was just because I was so small, nobody could see me. You know, I could just, I, could, I knew how to hide behind that 300 pound guy. You just kind of like, okay, yeah, Scott Swanson, man, dude. Stay there, Scott, don't move, man. Then after that was over, then, you know, I had a coach come up to me and he said, you know what? He said, you probably shouldn't have done that last Friday. And I said, what's that? You played so good. And I said, why is that? He goes, because then we'll expect it out of you. Oh. And my mom, man, was just like, that's, don't worry about it, Dave. Just. Then the next game, I rushed for another 189 yards. And then the next game, over 200 yards. And the next game was 275 yards. And by the end of that season, I'd rushed for over 2,000 yards. And... All-American, all-state honors. Then I had to make a decision on what college or university I was going to go to. And so I, I didn't want to pick a, a larger university because I thought, you know, I probably wouldn't play right away. So I thought, no, I'll go to a smaller, but I want to go Division I. So I chose Southern Illinois University. Salukis. The race dogs. Yeah. So our, our, our personal lives were a total wreck. They were a mess. But my mom was right there encouraging me, supporting me. And the unseen God was at work in the midst of the tragedy. It so happened. Say, it so happened. It so happened. I got that scholarship to the Southern Illinois University, a four-year scholarship. 
And in between my freshman and sophomore year, we had a coaching change. I got a new coach from the Detroit Lions, Ray Dempsey, Gail Sayers, who's a famous Chicago Bear running back, Hall of Fame running back. Uh, some of you probably don't know who in the world I'm talking about. But Gail Sayers became my athletic director. And then Jim Caldwell, who was the former, who was an Indianapolis Colt head coach, and then Detroit Lions head coach, just recently uh, stepped down from the Detroit Lions. He was my wide receiver coach. And I, I had an incredible entourage of football coaches. It was, it, I look back now and I think, amazing. But what was really amazing was the fact, it, now when Coach Dempsey got there, I did not like the dude, man. He was the, the cursing that came out of his mouth and the intensity. And I thought, this guy is just like me. I don't like it. <laughs> Fucking heads. And so I, I went home, I told my mom, I said, man, I don't know. Dude, Naomi spoke. She said, stick with it. Something's at work. So anyhow, I came back in the fall, and dude, Coach Dempsey was like totally different. Like, he was like nice. He wasn't cussing. He, I go, I go, what's up with Dempsey? He's so nice all the, what is up with him? Is he smoking something? Yeah. I, they said, no, no, he's not. He's got to be an addict. Something to do with Jesus. And I said, Jesus, are you kidding me? Jesus, like Napoleon? Like, like Caesar? Like, like, to me, Jesus was some historical figure, right? I mean, how in the world can Napoleon change a man's life? Huh? Caesar? I didn't get it. But dude, man, it was obvious. And then when I met his daughter... As it so happened, his daughter also had given her life. Terry was very promiscuous, and she had given her life to Jesus. And she said to different people, she said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Why? Well, because of Jesus. Tilt? Are you kidding me? Right? How can... And then his other daughter, who was involved in a, a, a lesbian lifestyle, had also made the, the comment... Uh, I'm not going to be involved in that lifestyle anymore. That was her story. And the reason was Jesus had changed her life. Oh, my God. And the more and more I was around Coach Dempsey and I was around his family and I was around different players that called themselves followers of Jesus, my eyes were beginning to be opened. And then... I remember one day, my senior year, man, I was, I was going through hell. I knew that mom was going through some major circumstances with my stepdad and grades. I hated school. I loved football. All of a sudden, somebody said on the Saturday morning, we were playing Arkansas State University, and somebody said, hey, there's a chapel. If anybody wants, there's a chapel service. In the student center, if you're interested, come be a part of that. I thought to myself, man, I need something. I, I mean, I, I've run out of my pot, uh, so can't use that. Um, I don't have any more, you know, drugs. I, you know, my life is a mess. And I thought maybe the man upstairs would look favorably on me, maybe a little angel dust, you know, a little rabbit's foot, you know. 
had no clue who this God was. But so I decided I'm going to go to this chapel, walk in. As soon as I walked in, all of a sudden I had a vision of hell. I mean, it was so clear, so real, so vivid. I mean, you know, I'm a young guy. I raised a lot of hell, but I never thought about going to hell. And then I'm in this room. Long story short. Thank you, Pat. It was a real, it was a real stretch of getting that. <laughs> Walked into that room and Jesus was a curse word. Walked out of that room and Jesus was the greatest love and treasure of my heart. I got to the. Got to the game, and I was so, I was like, God, my whole life had changed. I mean, the way I was looking at life, what I was looking at, it was crazy. And my life has forever been changed. When I got home and I told my mom, you know, that I had given my life to Jesus, she, she said to me, she says, Don't you ever mention the name of Jesus in this house. I never knew what she thought of Jesus because we never talked about it, right? And I thought, whoa. Tomorrow. Huh? Tomorrow. The bitterness and the hurt. But as it happens, God is at work invisibly in the hearts and lives. Right? Of those around us. And eventually my my dad came off of alcohol. My dad gave his life to Jesus. My mom gave her life to Jesus. And when you start seeing a 60-year-old woman laying hands on you, you're like, whoa, my goodness, as it happens, right? The message to all of us is that God is at work in and through you. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand, even when it's not obvious, even when we can't put our finger on it, even though we can't necessarily say, is that God or not God? And we wonder if we're even making a difference. I know that my mom felt like she was not making an impact, that she was not being significant. And what I said to my mom was this statement here. The only thing of real value we can give is not what we are, is what we are, not what we have. And mom, the value that you have given me is, is who you are and how you've influenced me, not what you have. And so I know that sometimes we feel so insignificant. We feel like a failure. We feel like where is God when you need him? He is there. He is guiding. And you are significant. You are strategic. You are important. And what you do matters to the overall strategy.
You may be a Naomi, and that's okay. Stay there. Be that. You may not be the Ruth. You may not be the Boaz. You may not be the King David. But as a Naomi, you are so vital to God's plan. He's in the ordinary. Let's stand to our feet. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. You know, I don't, I don't know what kind of baggage Naomi brought with her from Moab. Regret? Maybe we shouldn't have went. What if I would have stood up to Elimelech and, and said, no, we, I, maybe I should have done something different. Maybe if I would have done it differently, then Elimelech would still be here. If maybe if I would have been able to warn my kids or... Who knows what she was struggling with and carrying her breath. We can't compartmentalize all of our decisions. She has a daughter-in-law that goes one direction, she goes another. Someone once said to me, do you believe that God is a good father? Yeah, good and perfect father. Well then, why do Adam and Eve go a different direction. He was so good, right? Our kids, they have their own free will. <laughs> they have to make their own decisions. It's not a reflection on your fatherhood or your motherhood. God is a perfect father. Is the perfect father.
non-essential. That the difference that I'm making is not making a difference. Who told you that? It surely wasn't me. Who told you that? It didn't come from my words. Father, I just, I pray over every single individual and person in this place. I take authority over the lies of the enemy that would warp your plans, that would deny their significance, that would deny their uniqueness, that would deny their place and their role in the kingdom story. Everyone from Naomi to Samuel, from Ruth to Gideon, from Boaz to Jesus. Every, every, every part is important. So Lord, we just commit this day, we bless the moms in this place, the future moms. Lord God, we ask you to bless them that this day would be a day of celebration. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your trust and hope in the Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you today. Special day.